0: Hey, thank you so much for joining with us in this way in this season, uh, which admittedly is a very different season. And, and you know, th- those differences that we are in often equate and very realistically become difficulties. Uh, and I just want to admit that for a moment and just empathize with all of us that we are in not just a different season, but a very difficult one. Uh, makes me think of a story that my father-in-law tells me and his grandchildren every chance that he gets. Uh, Tom Wells is a basketball nut, to be sure. Uh, but there was a team in 1986 where he is from, Potsdam State University, that went 32-0, the only basketball team in all three levels of the NCAA to go undefeated that year. And the coaching staff had this unique just thought, and they turned off the air conditioning at the practices, so they created an environment where the team practiced in much difficulty. But the difficulty in practices benefited them to the extent of an undefeated season in much the same way I believe and we here at Life Church believe that as we lean into the difficult season that we have through God's grace and our ability to connect with him and and still find his presence viable to us the difficulties in this season will benefit us in our future seasons so I just want to encourage you uh, and help frame our conversation today with that. You know, next Sunday, October 4th, we're going to be leaning into our innovation uh, uh, towards scriptural roots of small groups, what we're calling community groups. So Thursday morning prior, October 1st, is when the content will be released for the first time. Worship, a message, and a practice for us all to engage and lean into together. If you have yet to form or find a community group, hey, don't worry about it. We trust you'll be encouraged and challenged by the content as well. But remember, the size and shape of the community groups are going to be different. Maybe it's going to be you and a couple other people, or maybe it's two families getting together. Maybe there's 24 people trying to lean into God's presence and the worship and the Word and the practice as well. Just, we encourage you to find and form a community group. Next week as well, we're going to begin a new series, one that I'm really excited about, Imagination and Practice. Because God has a different perspective, and God has better ways. Just to pique your interest, our hallmark passages are going to be a little bit different than we've done in previous seasons. Uh, Matthew 4:19, Revelation 3:20, and Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. Those are the three scriptures we're going to pull from uh, for the entirety of the series. We at Life Church are of the opinion that God has everything that every human needs to be transformed to be resurrected, to to be changed for the better without end in the person of Jesus Christ, who is God, but also is our way to go. And, And this way of Jesus is not a way of belief only, nor is it grounded in tasks or objectives, a checkbox mentality. First, the way of Jesus is entered into only by receiving His invitation. We step into our calling when we receive his invitation to be with him. One does not find their way into it. We accept the fact that God has found us. From such an acceptance of ovational love and and given value comes transformation. Not the forced kind where we try and be something different, but the voluntary version, the natural. Such new as the scriptures describe it, such rebirth requires that we live a different way. A thought process of other than giving place to actions that are other than what we've ever done before, that they are outside our normal. So we're going to look in imagination and practice at the life of David, which provides for us a beautifully imperfect creature, a human, in my opinion, of the highest order. He's rife with great intentions. In fact, in 1 Samuel 13, 14, a familiar scripture, it says that David had a heart after God's own heart, but at the same time, he was pockmarked with failures and inconsistencies and sins. The stench of David's normal was never overwhelmed by the aroma of supernatural in his life. He runs the gamut of roles and, and places and spaces and relational experiences. David is forgotten. He's left behind. He's chosen. He, he's anointed. He's a sibling. He's a son. He's a friend. He's a king. He's an adulterer. He's, an a, he's a conqueror. I mean, he runs the whole thing. He's a, he's a priest. He's uh, young. We see him in middle age. We see him when he's old. We see him when he dies. The fact of the matter is, David offers us so much to enter into and discuss in imagination and practice, to offer us different thinking that can lead us to different living and more different, hopefully, divine selves. And as a ra- reminder, if you haven't been able to find or form a community group, email us at info at We will find a place for you to get planted. So uh, we're looking forward to all of that. Let's pray. We're going to continue uh, talking about Psalms today. Last week, we spoke about Psalm 62. Uh, this week, we're going to do Psalm 46. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for the ability to gather in this way. And we just give you these moments and ask for you to use them. We make ourselves available. We choose right now to make ourselves available. And so we entreat you, mold us, shape us, make us more into your image. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. How we use the scriptures. How we use the scriptures will often be the difference between building the kingdom of God, encouraging people to who they are and His presence, helping them to become more divinely who they are supposed to be, their their healed selves, or if we're destroying what God has intended, we are pushing people away from Him and from ourselves. If you've ever used a hammer, you've probably, like me, hit your thumb or, or hit your finger. It doesn't mean the hammer was wrong or bad. It just means I used it the wrong way. And just as I spoke of last week, 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17, we often use that scripture as it talks about the Word of God being available for reproof, for teaching, for exhortation. While that is so true, we are not to hit other people with it. But we are to use it first and foremost on ourselves, as we're apt to describe it here at Life Church, that we don't just read the scriptures, but we try to allow the scriptures to read us. As we see Jesus, who's the Word made flesh, handle others and handle the Word of God, he doesn't do so in a hammering way. He comes in love, he comes and extends mercy, he listens and engages in conversation and makes himself available. Now, the whole of scriptures mixed with the manifest presence of God can and will offer insight to our souls. They will give us the opportunity to change. It will peak things in us that need change. But I want to be honest with you. The applications of each frame are going to be different. For instance, Leviticus 2, 3, and 4 Are in the Scriptures and we find them to be valuable because they are in the Scriptures. But I would suggest that Matthew 5, 6, and 7 might have a little bit more application to our lives. It doesn't mean they're bad or evil or good or wrong or whatever. It just means we need to know that certain frames of the Scriptures are going to be more tangible and practical than others. The Psalms, what we're going to pull from today, are a place that I personally turn to time and time and time again because they're written so personally. There's so much practicality, there's emotion, there's so much honesty, there's visceral humanity that I can readily connect with. There are, as I mentioned last week, blatant windows and doors, windows into my soul and my feelings, and there are doorways, opportunities for me to shift from where I am, to step into what God has for me. To be honest, Oftentimes when I'm sad or when I'm angry or I'm feeling some emotion that wants to pull me into probably not great decision-making, I'll go to the Psalms and find one where David was sad or find one where the writer was angry and feel those emotions and see how God's Spirit can turn and bring me into a healthier place. As I said last week, we worked through Psalm 61. This week, we're, we're going to work through Psalm 46. Psalm 46 is not authored by David. It was authored by uh, the sons of Korah. They were worship leaders in David's court, but it's about David, Uh, and it's towards really David and others, and it's on the heels. Most theologians and historians agree that Psalm 46 was written on the heels of a victory, a battle that was just won by David and his men, and it's towards how do we live victoriously? What do we do in those moments? So let's turn to our scripture, Psalm 46. Now there's a word that's used throughout the Psalms, but particularly in Psalm 46 I'm going to point to, and it's selah. Selah has probably two-fold uh, reality for us. It's a musical term, which means to give space. It's just a musical term, just pause. But it's also an emotional space. It's also to create space for us to consider and think. It's not just take a rest in the theme of the music, but hey, make a space so you can consider what is being said. So we're gonna read the first passage, verses one through three. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. Verse 1 declares to us, that, and remember, this is being written in the hindsight of a battle. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. This is not just a promise that they're hoping. They are saying, this is what just happened. It's in the light of victory and deliverance. And it also seems to be lending them something of light to the darkness of undone days. Point being, when it's declared God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble, they're speaking to the battle that was just won, but they're also throwing that light to the shade of unknown days. We would do well to borrow clarity in a moment of victory and health and goodness to the futures where we are confused and broken and frustrated. The nation of Israel had this really unique pattern and tradition of building altars. And altars, sometimes we picture would be this temple-like thing. Sometimes it was just stones stacked up. When they crossed the Jordan River, stack up stones. When they crossed the Red Sea, stack up stones. You see it throughout the Old Testament. And they did it not to just have these altars where they worshipped in weird ways. In fact, it wasn't about that at all. It was that so in days in the future, they would remember the goodness of God. They would remember how God came through, not just over there, but so that they could carry that into their future days. So verses 2 and 3, therefore, again, speaking to God being the refuge and strength, therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. They're speaking to not just declarations but also promises of what God has done, He is able to do again. These aren't just boasts in former glory. It's not just me remembering, hey, 2016, the Cubs won the World Series. It speaks to their here and their now. They're powerful postures of purpose. It's remembering the cross, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. It's 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, Where is your sting? I remember that God got up. Romans 8, what then shall we say to these things, whatever those things are? Because there's the resurrection power of Christ. It's Philippians chapter two, that there's no name above the name of Jesus. God is a refuge. God is a strength. No matter what's going on around us, we remember who God is and what he's done. Verses four through seven. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her where morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Now I'm going to speak to verse 7 in a little bit at the end of our time. But I want to point out the progression of these verses. There's a stream who makes glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God's in the midst. He will help her. God will help her when the morning dawns. And then the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. There's this ebb and flow. Just feel the instability that God is in the midst, but then there's a rage and there's a tottering and there's a fear. Doesn't that sound familiar to you and your life? I know it does to me and my life. How I wake up on the wrong side of the bed or what some circumstance pulls me down from. We also see this in the scriptures. One of the greatest prophets, Elijah, has this incredible victory at Mount Carmel. And then at the very same instant, he runs in fear. Noah survives a flood with his family does an incredible work. And then just a couple chapters later, in chapter 9 of Genesis, he gets drunk and is inappropriate. Peter, the apostle Peter, declares that Jesus is the Christ. He gets the question right. And then he disavows Jesus just a few moments later. And then, just days later, he preaches the gospel and opens up the ability of the early church to be the early church. We're human, We're unstable. We feel great, and then we feel destroyed. We have hope, and then we sink back. Verses 8 through 11. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he's brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Say Again, I just love the fact that we're reminded of our precious unsteadiness, the back and the forth, the victories and the struggles. Verses 8 and 9 are the psalmist speaking. Come, behold the works of the Lord. He's brought desolation, makes war cease. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, burns the chariots with fire. But then in verse 10, there are quotations. Because it's no longer the psalmist speaking, it is God speaking. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted among the earth. This is not a declaration of the psalmist. This is a proclamation, a promise of God himself. Be still and know that I am God. There's a difference, isn't there, between my hopeful declaration and God's promising proclamation. In the same way my kids say, hey, are we going to go do this? I hope we go get ice cream. I hope we get to Chick-fil-A today. Those are great declarations, But it's different when Tanya or I say, hey, get in the car, we're going to Chick-fil-A. Are you with me? There's a difference between proclaiming God's hopefulness or being hopeful in God's goodness versus God declaring, this is who I am. This is what I do. Verse 10, be still. The original language there is rafa, to slacken. God is asking us to be weak, it says to draw in the connotation is actually to be seated at a table to consume be still and know that i am god the spirit says and he speaks to the nations which communicates to people he speaks to the earth which communicates to the forces so no matter if there are forces working against us like say oh i don't know a pandemic or p- nations people of any way shape or form god says hey i'll be exalted I will be exalted. Now, verse 7 and 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Both of those verses are repetitions of one another. But there's also many theologians believe another verse that should have been inserted in the previous Selah, in verse 3. So definitely twice, some would say three times, this verse comes up in the psalm. The Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of hosts is a very specific term for God. It's one of might, military power, the ability to win the day. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And it's interesting that the psalmist would use Jacob. I mean, they could use Abraham. They could use Israel. But they use the name Jacob. Jacob, the, the thief, the heel grabber, the supplanter. I love that because it's mindful of who we are, of our own, as I mentioned, instabilities and inconsistencies, that Jacob is the one that God attaches himself to. Jacob, even in his missing it or his wanting to do it for himself, it is the God of Jacob who wants to make himself available to us. Just as an aside, other versions say God of Jacob is our refuge, I love that verbiage because it speaks more to a a healthy dynamic. A fortress speaks of fighting and engaging in warfare. The refuge is where we fight from as well, but we also retreat. We find sustenance and and, and family, uh, just existence. Very simply put, Psalm 46 challenges me that we can and should Let the victories of scriptures, as well as in our lives personally, my own life, overcome. We should let them overcome our fears and our concerns. Because we've seen God's people encounter those things, and we've seen God be faithful. It lets me know we can allow Him to shape our imaginations. As an opportunity today, I want to ask... When was the last time you informed your storm, your battle, your circumstance with who God has been and who He is? Again, go read Romans 8 where Paul writes, What then shall we say to these things? Speak to these things in your life. Another question. Are you surprised at your very normal human propensity to be rattled? to be unstable. Are you surprised at that? The Psalms are incredibly unstable. They're, they're rattled to the core, which again lifts me and encourages me because God can still speak to me. God can still move on my behalf. And finally, not a question, but I want to close with a suggestion. The practice, and we're going to be getting into practices in the coming weeks But I want to offer you all from Psalm 46 a a practice of prayer meditation. And if you're here and you're thinking, I don't pray enough and, and I certainly don't meditate, I would argue that you constantly meditate. When we meditate and think on things gone by that we missed, it's called regret. When we meditate and think about things that are upcoming, it's called worry. We all meditate day in and day out we would be well served to begin to pray and meditate on God's word and his faithfulness and who he is rather than what's going on around us or what we think we're capable of. And a practice that I have invested in my life is this, meditating on Psalm 46, verse 10. And it's simply this, to pray that scripture, be still and know that I am God. Pause, breathe that in. Let it sink in. And then we're going to go through a progression of removing a couple of words at a time and letting God's Spirit do something in us. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. I know that it's hard to interrupt our days that are filled with so many things, so many good things and so many frustrating things to pray and meditate. But I'd encourage you to that practice this week. Try and find space once or twice to invest that be still and know that I am God prayer meditation. Now, let me leave you with this benediction. May we read the scriptures and therein let the scriptures read us. May we allow the firm foundation found in Christ Jesus form our futures more than our own regrets or our own worries. And may we remember that with Jesus, It only gets better.